Hello, hello. Welcome to the Bali Effect. This is Preeti Tana. And this is Dee Dee Perry. Hey, Preeti. What's going on, Dee? What is going on? It's been a minute. It's been a minute, but it also feels like it hasn't been a minute because I actually got to see you recently. Yes, that is true. That was very fun and very last minute. And I think I'm going to see you next week or in two weeks. Something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a thing. It's a thing. I look forward to it always. How have you been? How's your day? How does it feel to be back in the Bali effect? <laughs> I, you know, I always love it. I know we've had this sort of, um, I think, not unlike many things that are happening in the world, we've had, a, you know, a few challenges over the past year or so. And um, I don't know, it always feels so good. And I used to think, especially when we stopped recording in 21, I used to think, oh, we have to make a decision. We have to make this decision. Should we keep doing it or not doing it? And if we're not going to do it, should we, you know, announce something? And I remember just, uh, you know, a couple months ago thinking, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, you know, was thinking too much about it. And it's sort of a lovely thing to be able to not really finalize anything and just go with the flow. Um, and I'm glad we didn't because I just love it. I love it. I think it's so much fun. It is. And, and it sounds to me like you had a Bali moment about the Bali effect. I couldn't resist. <laughs> you can never <laughs> resist. Yeah, of course, of course. So I, I will say, like to to anybody listening, we usually have some kind of idea what we're going to talk mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. But given all that we have been through, this episode is completely boom wherever the spirit leads, and I'm fine with that because there's so many things that we could discuss, but. Of course, the one thing that I did do in preparation was to to think about a question. Oh, you know, you know, before we get to the question, the other thing is, I feel as though I don't know. No one's no one minds when I say this, but the, the truth is doing an episode with a guest and prepping for an episode is it takes significant time. Um, and we love it. It's just, uh, it's been a little crazy. Okay. Let's move on to the question. Let's, let's go. Let's go. All right. All right. Preeti. Mm-hmm. The Bali effect is where we explore life's pivotal moments. Remember that? That's our tagline. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. we do here. And we yeah. still are doing that because we're still having pivotal moments. Can you think of some of the most pivotal moments that you have experienced in like the last, I don't know, uh, three years? On oh. any manner of anything. Wow. I think I'm going to really, I think there, I mean, look, if we all were to take a moment and think about our days and, and write down everything that has happened, we would all have pivotal moments, right? I think, I think we all do. We maybe just blow past them and realize later, oh, that was, that was something that made me, you know, shift my perception. But Oh God, D, this is a hard question because I think there have been so many, but I think all of it, whether it's been, you know, 
about loss or grief or, uh, you know, changing, you know, where you live or changing how you spend your day or making uh, commitments that you maybe later aren't sure you're supposed to make. But uh, I think, I don't know, I, I, this one's hard. Of course it's hard. You know, we will get back to it because I think that there are other prompts perhaps that, mm-hmm. that can get the juices flowing. It seems to me that the world has had experienced a lot of pivotal moments just in the last uh, like two months. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's been two months. And there's all that goes into what happened. And we can certainly touch on that. But there's also what's the lesson or lessons, plural, it's never very singular, but, but what are the takeaways if there's any uh, insight that people are able to have? So I'll start with a pivotal moment, okay. a rally moment that I think mm-hmm. our country, our world has experienced. Oh, we didn't, you didn't specify, you said me in particular. I thought, right, I, mean, I was talking about you, but uh, okay. I'm, saying, <laughs> I'm, right. I'm, I'm trying to guide the, the, this focus uh, right, you. Take, take your right. hot seat. But you know, we now have, well, three big ones come to mind for me mm-hmm. uh, in no order of significance because they're all significant. But uh, the world is, there's a war going on mm-hmm. that was not going on the last time we had mm-hmm. recorded. That's pivotal. That is mm-hmm. historic. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. The United States Supreme Court mm-hmm. finally has appointed a black justice. Mm-hmm. K B J <laughs> Brown Jackson. I mean, that is historical. And what are the takeaways from that? Mm-hmm. And then there's more, I will not say trivial fare, but in the land of celebrity, there has been uh, an incident at the Oscars. If you want to go there, we can go there. If not, I kind of don't want to opine on the event itself because everybody's got an opinion, but I do have a takeaway um, that I I have thoughts on um, surrounding it. So jump on any of those, Preeti. Do you you have a... (laughs) You're coming at me today. Uh, You know, let's talk about Katanji Brown-Jackson. Let's talk about it. Okay. I did you. So how much of it did you catch? Okay, so I will say this. I have watched, if not all, most of the Supreme Court uh, judicial confirmation hearings Mm. for the I mean, I watched when I was 10 years old, when Ginsburg was appointed. I remember watching pieces. I did not know what was going on, but I Mm -hmm. knew it was a big deal. Uh, Clinton had appointed her. And I remember Again, not very clearly, but I remember that process. And after, oh, who was it? I think uh, when Roberts Mm -hmm. was appointed, I think I I might've been in law school at that time. And I was studying constitutional law. So it took on a whole uh, different different level of meaning because I could understand the cases that they were talking Mm -hmm. about. Oh my gosh, we were just talking about this case in class, you know, the other day. And that's when I really started paying attention. And there have been a lot of appointments to the court since that time. You got uh, Roberts, um, Alito, uh, uh, gosh, who came after that? You got Sotomayor, you've got Kagan, you've got uh, 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 Gorsuch, you've got 
the, that man, you know, the, the man who was accused of all the horrible things. Uh, well, the other one, I can't remember his name, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, the one who wouldn't wear a mask because Sotomayor was, he wouldn't wear a mask for COVID. Anyway, he's that. I don't know. All right, I don't mean to offend anybody, but that guy, mm. uh, a recent Trump appointee, the, the second appointee from Trump and um, Kagan. And now I will say, I've never been unable to sit through watching those hearings, Mm -hmm. but I was unable. I could not stomach it. I had to turn it off because beyond the pale does not even describe how atrocious, disgusting, repulsive it was for me to see what they were doing to her. And the outrage that was expressed, I think, was absolutely warranted. And to me, the takeaway of how horrifying it was to watch her and not only to watch her go through that, but to have to go through it graciously. See, I'm like, she's better than me because I would have cussed them all out. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, but, you know, she couldn't. You know, I think that's the part of the plight is that for her to react in that situation would have taken on a completely different meaning had anyone else. And I believe there was someone else that had a very strong reaction. Um, I think that that is what is so exhausting because you could feel her angst and there were many, I'm sure you picked up on all of them, body movements, eye movements, you know, the turning, you know, a lot of times she'd pick up the water, turn off the cap, you know, and sort of make a little bit of a, geez, why do I have to keep going? This is crazy. But she couldn't, you know, because that would have taken on a different meaning. Oh, here we go. You know, she broke down, (laughs) put it on her. It's her fault. And so, yeah, I was super, uh, I could feel her reluctance and the tension of her not wanting to really tell those guys off. Well, Kavanaugh, that's the one that my brain would not even permit me to to recall that name. And information hearing when when you to your point about she couldn't go off. I was like, he got to Mm -hmm. that man yelled, screamed, kicked, cried, cussed, fussed. He threw like five temper tantrums over the course of those days and he still got appointed. Right. But well, I don't think she wouldn't have gotten appointed had she reacted. I think that the press... And in general, you know, everyone in that room would have had a different feeling about her. Right. I don't think she wouldn't have gotten appointed, but I think that's the thing. You know, Kavanaugh can can <laughs> I can't say it better Why than you he can do all those things, but there won't be any um, accountability for that. And I think that's my takeaway, especially um you know, this happened with everyone. But when Senator Graham was was sort of going after her. Uh, talking about um, the child pornography cases, right? That she had um, presided over and made judgments on. I, she wouldn't, he wouldn't let her finish. No. And there is no, I mean, that's, that's to me watching her and I'm sure you feel the same way. It, it was almost, it was almost triggering to be quite honest, you know, to, to sort of, and we talk about it and people write about it and they say the same things we're saying. And yet no one, no one, nothing changes. That That's what I feel. That might be one of my pivotal moments. Everything changes and nothing changes. 
Well, to me, not only was it triggering, it was familiar. Well, yeah. I mean, how many times have you known that you have something important to say? And that is completely irrelevant. You know that you have a legitimate defense to the BS that you of which you're being accused or, or just misrepresented or whatever. And your attackers don't even want to hear the truth mm-hmm. because they have painted you into, you know, whatever, whatever box that is so limiting is so demeaning, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there, you know, there are a lot of things that have gone out about she's the most credentialed person to ever take this job and yet was being torn apart to shreds for political reasons. We know that, but it just felt dehumanizing. And that's what was upsetting to me because we say all the time as women in professional settings, and and not only in professional settings, in the patriarchy, but when you're in a competitive environment, women, women of color, black women are held to an impossible standard. Mm -hmm. And it, to me, it it just signals, it's a reminder, there's a strong, deep, pernicious strain that does not even want you present, does not want to hear your voice, does not want you to have a seat at the table. All that to say, she persevered and she, she did she was appointed she, she was the right to be there um i was even i was a little pissed off about you know people bringing up affirmative action because she earned her spot to be there if she were a white man there would never have been a question about that same exact cv but change the way that she identifies uh you know um with her gender and and with her ancestry and it's a totally different equation so you know I, if you had one, so I was just thinking about if I had a minute to ask her a question, what would it be? Ooh. And, you know, and, and I want you to answer and I, I want to tell you what I would ask her. Okay. I would ask her that in the, the depth of despair in any given moment where you felt as though this is not right, right? I have the credentials. I've earned my right. I've worked really hard. I, belong in this seat, in that seat, um, when, what's the balance? Is it about continuing to steady yourself in your profession, in your belief, in your, uh, you know, career? Is it to constantly, you know, raise your voice or do you bow out and move yourself into a situation that doesn't, run up against all of these issues? Well, I think she answered the question with how no, she, she conducted herself. Sure. Um, but that's a great question. <laughs> I, I, uh, yes, she did. But, you know, she must have had moments. And, you know, I sometimes it's exhausting and sometimes I don't want to fight. You know, sometimes I, you know, when do you what's the threshold of situation where you know in your gut that this is not the right thing you know and how do you get through it how do you you persevere i don't know okay what would you ask her you're just gonna Mm. be something fun (laughs) Ooh, ooh, i would i wouldn't ooh, 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 ooh. see now you've stumped me (laughs) you know but this is what great friendships and relationships are about i really believe that i do 
Yes. I and mean, I never stump you. So I'm super excited about this. One. <laughs> this is a pivotal moment for yeah. me. <laughs> well, there's, there's, there are practical questions that I would want to ask her. And then there are the, I think, more deep probing philosophical questions that I would feel the pressure to ask because it would be such a momentous opportunity to get to ask her a question. I was like, well, um, can, can I send you my resume? Like that, that could well, be one. Yeah. But then another one, uh, you know, more broadly, I might, you know, cause she certainly, she referenced who her heroes were, Constance mm-hmm. Baker Motley, um, who is from my home state. And she was uh, one of the first women, I think, to argue before the Supreme Court, African-American woman who shares, um, I believe, Justice Jackson's birthday, but don't quote me on that. Um, But I, what would I ask her? I probably would, would ask something about those coming behind her because she is very, she, she presents as very, very aware of the enormity of her success being a shared success for the people. And, you know, I, I, you know what I would ask her, I would ask her something similar to the question itself. If you could meet, um, you know, one of your ancestors, what might you say to them? I mean, I think and I would might like say. at least like three generations out, you know, um, those whose fingers probably picked cotton. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? Because there's no, well, but you know, let me not even say that. I was about to say, there's no way that they could ever envisioned you here. But then I hear, you know, the voice of Maya Angelou's poem, which Cory Booker so beautifully. Um, oh, he was, it was oh, wonderful. <laughs> I'm ready to send him a check. I don't care what mm-hmm. he runs for. <laughs> Cause that's how, as my friend Melanie, shout out to you. She said, she's like, see, that's how you stand up for a black mm-hmm. woman. That's mm-hmm. how you have somebody's back. Absolutely. And, such uh, a, world, such an incredible notes. moment. It you was know, amazing. Yeah. Although I, I want him to take a nap and, and rest because I felt his exhaustion and exasperation too. And I don't <laughs> want him to, you know, wear himself out because he's got a lot of work to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, pro- you know, you know, we are the hopes and the dreams of people, human beings who had their lives, their livelihood, their history, their languages, their joy, their freedom ripped from them un- without provocation. And yeah. so if she had an opportunity to speak to one of them, what would she say? That might be what I would ask her. I mean, I don't know what she would say, but certainly, you know, without you, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. And you know, every what? moment, every moment of, of struggle helped me get to mine. And you know what? I think in the moments when we, you know, ourselves and any of us feel insignificant, I think, and and mired down by how hard just surviving might feel. I'm speaking to myself right now. Maybe we can also kind of zoom the camera out a bit and remind Mm -hmm. ourselves it's not just about us. It's not just about the here and now, the choices that we make or don't make, the times when we show up or decide not to show up will have an impact on the lives of people whom we will never know, who we'll never see in our lifetime, but it can be for 
outcomes that we cannot even imagine. And maybe that in and of itself is reason to just try to hang mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Know. You know, you also have on a quite, quite a different level and a different tone of that is you have the, it is your purpose to continue. It is your, your purpose to succeed and to live in joy and to, you know, um, have a seat at that table and use your voice. It is not, you know, I don't know that it's selfish, but that, that is what you are here for. That is what you're meant to do. You know, that's what we're all meant to do. And so I feel like we could spend the whole hour on, (laughs) right. Ms. Katanji. So maybe what was the other two? What were the other two that we wanted to talk about? Okay. I can't let what you just said go, but I definitely, I will get to the other two because I've been, I've been like trying to work this out um, and I don't have an answer, but I think that you, my dear, very well might. Do you think that your, your purpose is something that you find in life? Or do you think that your purpose is something that finds you over the course of your life? I think your purpose is joy. And that comes in many iterations throughout your life. Um, And I think you inherently, you know, that that has been one of my biggest lessons over the past couple of years. You know, I have everything I need and not materialistic items, but I have everything I need. And the, the, I used to very much heavily depend on external situations, things, people, holidays um, to fill me up. And that narrative, when you shift the narrative to my purpose is to, is to be in a state of joy and a state of ease and a state of flow, the whole, the whole pressure of finding your purpose suddenly diminishes because it's not one thing and it's not many, it's many things and it changes over the period of time. I mean, another way. So I, it's so interesting you say that because I have dropped from my vernacular, the word purpose. What is your purpose? Mm. Because it, it is so limiting. I know that sounds crazy because then you're fine. Then you're, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm supposed to be this or do this. Or, you know, my purpose is uh, my, if my purpose is joy and ease and, and flow, and then the decisions I make lead to that decisions. I don't make, you know, that move me away from that state that becomes my purpose. So I don't know. I, and I'm super passionate because I've been thinking a lot about it. You know, there's so much going on. How do you spend your day? Who do you spend it with? But, um, you know, I've asked myself that so many times, what am I supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be doing what makes you happy in every moment. And that, I, you know, that's not a privilege thing. That is a, a, a human thing. You know, it, it doesn't come, that could be, you know, yes, there's so many people we will talk about the war. I don't think, you know, many people in Ukraine are thinking, how do I find, you know, a moment of joy in this, right? They're in the mode of survival and they are. So I understand, you know, on some level, it doesn't account for everyone here, but on a level of, if you're, if you have the ability to ask yourself, what is my purpose? Then you have the ability to say it is just to find joy. That's my final answer. Dang. I think that's a very, um, a very liberated uh, perspective 
Because then, as you say, that can take so many forms. I think you ask somebody on the, the bus, you know, so what do you think your purpose is? They're probably going to think in terms of a vocation mm-hmm. or some singular achievement that you should mm-hmm. be ordering your life around. But look, I find joy at the nail shop. You know? <laughs> I find joy in my garden. I find joy with people. I find joy in making my bed, you know, just feel so much more order in the the world when that thing is, you know, not a mess. But you know what I mean? Yeah. And if someone were to ask, you know, if someone were to ask, you know, a third party, what's Didi's purpose? You know, depending on who they ask, the answer would be very different. You know, Didi's my daughter. That's her purpose. Didi's my friend. That's her purpose, right? Didi's a lawyer. That's her purpose. Didi's on a podcast. That's also her purpose. So I think there's the internal question, of course, if you choose to go there. But again, it's multifaceted and it's, 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 yeah, I don't know. Well, you know what the, and I think I might've told you this before. I'm not sure, but I think the biggest like Bali moment that I had uh, this year so far it w- it hit me like a bolt of lightning and for years. And I think, I think it started when I was like 28, when I was 28, I had, you know, it was only five years ago, but <laughs> uh, who's counting when I was 28, I really, my, my, we could do an episode on that, but I really think sort of falling apart for me or so it felt. And my interest in pursuing a spiritual uh, awareness of my life and of the world took hold. And in that time I was exploring, I was searching for greater meaning, for purpose and all of that. And I felt like in one of my meditations, just what came to me was something along the lines of, if you could ask, you know, the question, really the question is, well, what is it that you want? Like if you could ask your creator a question, what would that be? What do you want from your creator? Mm-hmm. And I really was like, well, I don't, I don't know. And for years, for years, I would revisit that. Well, what do you really want? And I could not answer it. And just a couple months ago, I went to see a performance of a play and it was um, Skeleton Crew. I'm going to the- have to, um, this is the first time. This is the first time I'm interrupting. Because yes, I, I, there's something that I have to do. I just have to leave for two seconds. There's a little bit of an emergency. So continue to talk to our guests and I will be right back. Well, you know the story. So I'll just pretend. <laughs> well, anyway, listeners in the listener land. Um, I was sitting in the, the theater and Dominique Morceau is a brilliant playwright. If you are not familiar with her work, please, please, I encourage you to just get in the know. She's got plays um, in New York that are up and around the country. She's great. So anyway, Skeleton Crew was, uh, it was uh, one of the performances, but she's from Detroit and that particular night, the audience was comprised of people who were also from Detroit for the most part. And I have never experienced that much joy, tangible excitement and love for all of the, the, 
for her, but for the entire community, um, for those who I'm sure you remember, there is still a harrowing, uh, harrowing water crisis in Flint, Michigan, that has been forgotten and is no longer in the headlines, but is still costing people their lives. And she has written beautifully about so many of the, the slices of life in, in her home city. And it was there, there. So there was like a presentation before the show um, to her and just, you know, this is Detroit love and this is what theater can do. It can raise consciousness. It can do all these wonderful things. It can bring people together despite, you know, the difficulty of our days and our times. And it really, in that moment, it, it, it dawned on me. It's just like, oh, I know what I want. I know exactly what I want. And all came back I want just is, in time. Yes. What came what to me, I'm want? surrounded, waiting for the show to start. Everybody's just in a great mood. And I realized all I want is to be me. Mm -hmm. That is all I want. And I mean, for years, I've been trying to figure out what is the answer to that question. Do mm -hmm. I want a certain line of work? Do I want to live in a certain place? Do I want to earn a certain amount of money? Do I want certain you know, people or relationships or, you know, do I want to see certain parts of the world? Do I want to experience certain things? But it just felt so right. All I actually stink and want is to be me in every area of my life. That's it. That is the picture of contentment for me. But that's you know, very similar, right? Because if you're able to be authentic and you're able to be you, that is when you're in that state of joy. And that is when you have many different, you know, things come your way. I mean, not that it's exactly the same, but um, it, it sounds so simple, right? It sounds so, I just want to be me. How incredibly difficult that is. Only to took be yourself. a decade and some change to figure that out. But I'll take it better late than never because mm -hmm. even, you know, I still have to survive, of course, but uh, or try to. But it certainly it, it provides a different anchor an anchoring mm -hmm. um, for, yeah. well, now that there's a sense of, of uh, purpose, for lack of a better word, then what are you going to what does that mean? What does that look like? And in what ways can you work towards just being you? Yeah. And it, it, we'll see what comes with it. But that's that was that was the big one for me. Because it's like, oh, I felt like Dorothy, you know, mm -hmm. like, you had the slippers all along, but you had to like go on the journey in order to realize that you had what you needed within like the first two minutes of the the movie well you know it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been as fun <laughs> well hey you know I I'm I I'm all I'm all good I'm, I'm grateful for for the journey um so the other you had asked what are the other two events mm -hmm. there is a war mm -hmm. that has happened it is I will say this um takeaways for me e evil is very present very, very present. And the world is not as big and places are not as far away. And, and we're a lot more connected to enormous suffering than we might realize. Mm -hmm. And dare I say, complicit? I don't know. It's complicated. It is. It's, it's complicated. This is actually what we talked about um, 
when we were trying to figure out our topics, right? We talked a little bit about that passage from, or the quote from uh, Mari Andrew, the writer. Would you, right? would you like to share it? Because I know you had posted it um, a while back, but it's such sure, a powerful sure. statement. And, I, and I, it is something I think about every day, um, but it's, um, I'm washing my face before bed while a country is on fire. It feels dumb to wash my face and dumb not to. It has never been this way and it has always been this way. Someone has always clinked a cocktail glass in one hemisphere as someone loses a home in another while someone falls in love in that same apartment building where someone grieves. The fact that suffering, mundanity, and beauty coincide is unbearable and remarkable. And I think when I read that, um, it, I just had this moment where oh, that's what I feel, right? I, I, I think we all feel the struggle. Mm -hmm. How can my life be operating this way while so much destruction is happening in this world. Yeah. And even the, uh, you know, I'm not to make, bring everything back to theater, but Rent is my favorite musical. And there's a song in the second act sung by Daphne Rubin Vega and Adam Pascal called Without You. And the lyrics are, very uh, straightforward and, and almost plaintive, but they are profound because they're describing all the things that happen in the world, um, you know, uh, while a person is walking through the hell of loss. They're saying, you know, without you, you know, the, the, the seasons are going to change, the rain is going to fall, you know, kids are going to run, uh, people are going to laugh, uh, crowds are going to cheer. Uh, the seasons are going to, the flowers are going to bloom. All these things are happening. And yet I am dying because you're not here anymore. And that's, that's a duality. You know, we're all on one edge of that coin or somewhere in between at any given time. Even, you know, it, when you say, you know, being happy is the purpose. I, I don't know if that's where I am. Um, quite frankly, because there's, there are things that are so difficult, you know, that I have to confront. And then there are things that are so wonderful that I get to experience at the same time. And, and if there's any feeling of imbalance uh, with that mix going on, does it mean that I'm not happy? Well, happy can be a bit uh, heavy at times, difficult to, to, to summon, but at least the recognition that there is still good, even in the face of enormous darkness, sometimes is the best that I can do or strive for. Oh, you're on mute. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah. I mean, I just have to, like in all the, in uh, what we've been recording since 2020, and uh, I don't think I've had as many <laughs> like emergency situations, quote unquote. Yeah, no, I, I think we all, like you said, struggle with that. Um, and, and, you know, I don't think finding joy or finding your happiness or finding your center is, um, you know, exclusive to that. I do think that it's, it was a very specific, you know, answer to finding purpose, right? Gotcha. Yes. You know, yes. I mean, okay. yes, I think, I think that, um, 
And so for me, the narrative changed from finding my purpose and being, you know, almost like, you know, what am I going to major in in college? I got to pick this one thing and that's going to determine the rest of my life or, um, but it's very difficult. And I think that, I mean, we all feel it. I don't, I don't have any answers. I, I think it's, it's, you do the best you can, you help where you can, you connect with people um, who are not feeling as, as good as you, who have been impacted by some of these events far greater than you. You know, it's, it's um, part of that finding joy is a life of service as well. Right. So I think it's, I don't know, there's not, there's not one thing I, did you ever, it's so interesting to me to listen to um everyone's opinions and pontifications about every single thing that's happening in the world. That's why you have to find your center. You know, there, you, you, you talked about it at the beginning, you know, <laughs> Will Smith. And <laughs> right. I mean, we, we, in fact, we had a little bit of a back and forth on that topic as well. And I could tell from the texting that maybe I was, <laughs> I was in a camp of, you know, quite honestly, you know, it never should have been done, right? Like no one should go up and hit someone else. Uh, and you were coming from the place of the reasons why and what it was rooted in and the historical perspective of it. Um, I wouldn't are, call it historical, you know. So I meant <laughs> the relationship, the historical relationship. And, you know, um, what I meant was that it wasn't a singular event without some context to it. Um, where I was looking at it as the moment in time, you know, and, and reacting well, you, to what I saw. Which is totally fair. And which is what a lot of people did. And even people who were aware of the history. And for those who might not know, uh, the internets will fill you in. But I've evidently, I don't know these people, so I can't speak to their lives. But what the the, the streets were saying is that Chris Rock had, uh, before Jada and Will were married, Chris wanted to date Jada and she rebuffed his advances and he was not happy about that. I don't know whether that's true or not, but that over the years, for, for many, many years, he's been taking digs at her. And it surfaced uh, publicly in 2016, I believe, when he you know, made jokes about her decision to protest the racism of the Academy for not nominating any any black uh, filmmakers that year. And then we all know he took a dig at her again. So it seems that it was not so isolated. And I guess, you know, but, but what but, I but, oh, go ahead. OK, I think all of that is I just don't, I don't I don't think any of it justifies the action. I just don't. There are ways to handle something. Obviously, I, he, you know, we're all, we're all at breaking points in many different on, you know, on many different levels. But I just, I don't know. I, I felt like it sent the wrong message. You know, that's not. That's how many. Okay, let me ask you this: How many people do you want to punch today? I will say this. Not everything is triggering for me. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, I, I, I want to punch, uh, the, you know, the people that I see on the news doing awful things. Uh, but if no, I in your everyday them, life, in your everyday life, 
I know, I know that there have been people that you would, if given the opportunity, um, and you know, no, no backlash or ramifications for doing it, you would punch. Well, I'll say this, we could be a bit more specific. I've gotten into fights before, so I might not be the best person to ask this question. You know, I will qualify it by saying for me, and I'm not saying that, that, you know, uh, the the, the set of values that I was raised under and that in the community in which I was raised had all of the right answers. But there is a code of ethics and there's a code of behavior and conduct that communities do have and that cultures do have that are very different from those of other communities and cultures. And I don't, I'm not assigning value to each one. What I'm saying is I understand why he did it because there's such thing, and, and I don't know, tell me if you, you know, you know the phrase, but in our community, there's a thing called fighting words. Certain things, if you say them, you are asking for an ass whooping and it just is what it is. So you just know, do not come for somebody's mama because somebody's going to punch you. And it just is what it is. Now, am I saying that it's right? I'm saying that it's wrong. It is, there, there is an understanding and it is not viewed as, um, as uh, nonsensical. And in some ways, there are people who would say, I, I get it. And I would do the same exact thing because that's how we do, which is what Will's son evidently, Will and Jada's son like tweet. It's like, that's how we do. And in a way that's like, that's like coded language for the people who understand that cultural response. Okay. Now, but what I, what I, I don't want to get too, too deep in it because I do want to hear your thoughts on what I did not hear in the aftermath of all of it. Was anybody really asking about how Jada felt? And that to me is actually more problematic. Who, who should ask how Jada felt? The, the same folks who are opining on the, the, press? the incident itself. The press? I'd say anyone who's, who thinks that they care about this incident, because the conversation to me has been entirely focused on what these men were doing and who was right and who was wrong. And to me, the fact that Jada's feelings got completely blown over feels hurtful and it feels harmful because that is to me, it corresponds to a level of invisibility of the validity of black women's humanity that happens time and time and time again. It's like nobody, nobody's bothering to think about how, how she was affected by this because it's about the guys and you know their locker room talk, whatever. Well, not locker room well, talk, I mean, but I, I, their I behavior. Do, I do think their behavior was front and center, right? That's, that's it's a one point, it's, it's obviously multifaceted, but that was the, the thing. And, you know, I think it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote an excellent piece on this. I don't know if you read it, but he Mm -mm. did, you know, and again, this is opinion and everyone's opinion is different. And even me saying, you know, he never should have, we differ on that. And that's okay. That's okay to differ on the opinion of whether or not he should have punched him on television. That's totally, that's okay. Right. Because I don't have the same um, background, the same understanding 
uh, I don't, I don't have the same understanding of the code that you reference. It's mm-hmm. right. Um, but have you ever been in a fight, Preeti? I have. Okay. Did it start with words? It started with someone um, putting my toothbrush in bleach, but obviously there was a buildup of, of stuff. They had it coming. They had it coming. Yeah. But do you think they have, do you think people who are adored and, and followed by millions who are role models have a different responsibility in a situation on national television than any of us that have gotten into a fight? I think I know where you're, what you're implying with that question. And I think that in some way, that question assumes that, that, that there was not something to a different set of listeners or viewers that was achieved by that act. Now, I'm not defending it, but I do think that from here on out, people will stop and pause before mentioning her name in a pejorative way. And I think that was the intention. Because I did, I have a friend of mine, she did say, she's like, this achieved absolutely nothing. This was so pointless. And I was like, that man is not going to make another joke about that woman publicly. Now I can't read the future, but I really do think that he is going to stop. It put an end to a situation that diplomacy just did not seem to resolve for the last however many years. But to answer your question. He will continue though to, to, that's what they, I'm not justified. I'm just, I, I actually, this is one of my favorite podcasts actually, because I feel as though, um, you know, we try and, and sort of align and we always have a guest and there's, and it's not that we're not aligned on this. I think actually in many ways that we are, but. Or we're um, not. Them too. That's it. <laughs> Had it been my mother, but you know, see the, the difference with me, I would have waited until I got to the parking lot. That's the only difference. That well, really is it. Because to, in, but, but that's to what I'm saying. Point, I would, I'm not, I'm not, I should actually say, I don't think he should have punched him on national television during the Oscars. That is you. what I'm trying to say. Got I am it. not saying that he, he shouldn't have been provoked by what Chris Rock said. I'm not even saying that it was bullshit um, that he went after that, you know, Rock went after Jada. I'm not, I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying simply of the moment where he felt like it was okay to get up during the Oscars on television. I would have gladly rallied with him in the parking lot, you know? And then I thought, honestly, it felt a little, it was hard for me then to watch him get the Oscar as if nothing had just happened, you know? But I don't know what the other, what would have, I don't really know what, if given that first half of the situation, I don't know what else they would have done. So I don't know. Well, it it doesn't change the fact that he gave an extraordinary performance that his peers applauded. And at that point, do you, do you, that incident does not change that, which is why I think they, you know, they're letting him keep it. They're not asking him to, to give it back. Um, but with respect to, you know, there, there are people who are watching and hopefully this does not set a precedent for 
all kind of foolishness. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I saw it. And of course I am biased. I saw it as a very public and valiant defense of, of black womanhood. And I didn't mind that because I hardly ever see that publicly and in, in spaces of mostly white audiences. And well, you had a, you had especially a, coming off of it was the week after Katanji's uh, Justice Brown. Cory Booker also, you it know, means in a different, so much. Yeah, it means so much. And, and I'm not taking away from that, Didi. I'm not taking away from that. I, I think that I hear you. You know, my my response to this has been solely focused on the incident. I'm not taking away from from that. Um, even if people have said, you know that, you know, does she really need, did she really need to be saved or whatever that narrative is, which is kind of whatever. I'm not, I'm not taking away from it. Yeah. I, I just, I was very upset with what uh, had happened to, to Justice Brown and Brown Jackson, that it, it just seemed, you know, gosh, we're just being led to the slaughter. So to have, you know, a guy come and say, well, you, you come for one more of us and this is what's going to, you're going to get. I, I really, I didn't mind it. Um, and not everyone has that full of a full of an understanding right. of one event to the next event to be able to say, you know, finally, I've I've seen this. Right? Not everyone right. will 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 be there. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I've got another question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. This one, this one. Uh, it, it hits a bit closer to home, but in terms of, you know, uh, just moments where, where something awakens. Preeti, when do you know that it's time to let go? You know. That was quick. I think we get in our own way, but I think for me, it's always been the ease and the peace that I feel when I make the decision, even if I know that there is going to be um, a difficult path moving forward, whether that's emotionally or whether that's just um, logistically, you know. And I, and I think that that has been not the issue. I think the issue has been that we have um, either you know, it's like we've surrounded ourselves by opinions and uh, gurus and, and, you know, parents and friends, and we ask them their opinion, but we know. And I challenge anyone who's listening to this, whenever they've had to confront uh, letting go, that in retrospect, if they, if they would say, no, I didn't know, they know, you know. <clears throat> I'm struggling with this one. Because I am trying to expand my capacity for grace while also expanding my capacity for my own personal boundaries and, and mm -hmm. needs to, to protect myself and my feelings and all that stuff. And I have not yet found the bright line where you just you know, it's, it's time to walk away. Uh, it's, you know, I'm just pushing a rock and that is not moving or, or whatever. Um, I, I, re I remember there's a song, this is like the Broadway episode, like all the musicals. <laughs> <laughs> just, 
they're my point of reference. See, maybe this is an indication of my future purpose, Preeti. I believe um, it is. Because it brings me so much joy. But mm-hmm. did you see Avenue Q? I did see Avenue Q a very so long time ago. Back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the cuss and puppets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was that song, um, There's a Fine, Fine Line. Mm-hmm. And in it, it's it's uh, one of the lyrics it's about, you know, just, just letting go in the yeah. you know romantic sense. But I remember when I first heard that song, that was, that was actually a Bali moment for me because mm. it articulated a feeling that I didn't give myself permission to consider. And, mm. and that was the, you know, the line. It's like, you know, there's a fine, fine line between um, a fairy tale and a lie. Mm-hmm. There's a fine, fine line between you're wonderful and goodbye. And if someone doesn't love you back, it really isn't a crime. But there's a fine, fine line between love and a waste of your time. And And, also, I guess you have your answer. But you know, first of all, a standing ovation for reciting that song from Avenue Q. How long ago did you see it? That's but brilliant. I love the song. Well, no, I know, I know the song. I could have uh, sung it, but you know, I didn't want to, you know, break the microphone. Oh, well, you always <laughs> like when you sing on the Bali effect. But I think also if you're asking yourself, is it time to let go? It is because mm. whatever you're letting go of, when you move on from it, you'll either get it back or, or find something new. That is exactly what happens. That is, I I can't tell you how many times it's, you know, I'm sure I've told this story about the monkey and the coconut on the Bali effect a million times. You know, I don't think you've ever told a story about the monkey and the coconut. You know, monkey, you know, at the, at the, in the bottom of a coconut, there's this sweet pulp, right? And so uh, let's just say in India, you know, the coconuts fall off the trees and the monkeys go um, and they stick their hands in the coconut. The water has gone, right? They're just empty shells, but they know that there's a sweet pulp at the bottom. And so they stick their hand in to get it and they're so desperate to get it, their hand gets stuck. So now the their hand is in the coconut and they eventually realize that if they just let go, the coconut drops off. You know, and so I, I remember hearing this such a long time ago and you not really have never told me or the Bali effect <laughs> listeners that story. But now I'm it's like, one of my favorite stories. Get the hand in the coconut. OK, wow. Well, I mean, you know, he probably it's he probably did. But because he was so desperate, you know, it just wasn't he just had to like fall off. Mm-hmm. I will never think or look at a coconut I think, the same way. I think I think this is if if I could have learned something much sooner. And you know, we all have our time and we all have our 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 learning moments, right? And there are reasons why certain things take longer, but uh, that is I would have loved to have either listened to that advice or learned it and felt it much earlier. You know? People would tell me, I remember after, I mean, gosh, 20 years ago, after a really terrible breakup, you know, I remember someone saying, just let it go, move on, do your thing. And you know what, if it's meant to be, he'll come back, but either way, you're going to win because you would have moved on and kept living your life. And I was like, no, you know, gosh, yeah, Turk, 100% correct. I don't know who told me that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you to that person. Man, you know what it is? I think it requires, oh, he, sorry keep going. We have, we have five minutes left. Oh man. 
How did that happen? What? I don't know, but remember the last time we went over? Um, okay. All right. All right. So we're going to be also, gonna be be- all right. I'm going to give you the last five minutes, but this is what I'm going to say. It has been eight years since Bali. That's all I'm going to say. Shut up. <laughs> yes. Like last week. Yeah. No way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need to go back. I'm like Jack on Lost. We got to go back, Abe. We got to go back. Um, but, you know. Okay, so that was a non-theater reference, but mm-hmm. TV land all the same. Well, <laughs> I, okay, okay, okay. That is profound. I will let the, the monkey and the coconut thing marinate uh, because, <laughs> you know what it is? It's, it's, just, it's just having faith that the future is protected, no matter what the outcome is going to be because you still have you, you know, and, and you still have your source with you, regardless of what this external thing is or might be. Right. And the reason why I didn't learn it sooner, I don't think, you know, I think, I don't think I, at this point in my life, I would have assumed some things to have happened, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that it is only in it not happening and life not being what I had anticipated that I had to find that source because all of my perceived joy was dependent on external situations happening, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's, mm-hmm. that's, it's really hard to do during the time that you still want those things as mm-hmm. opposed to the time where you're like, okay, I have to let this go now. <laughs> so, Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Um, it's funny because it's not funny, but it's, it's interesting that you say that because I have a friend who recent, or she turned um, 40 during the pandemic and was saying that she had all these great, huge plans, but then pandemic and it mm-hmm. messed them up. And she was so, so depressed yeah. uh, about it. But then it was like, but then I, I got over it. And then I realized I could still do big things for all my other birthdays. And so now I'm fine. Yeah. Great. So- Expectations. Right, right. But, you know, to your point, you got to kind of get through Mm -hmm. what you perceive to be the the horrible thing and then realize, wait, I'm still here on the other side of it. And there's still all this beautiful life to live. Oh, it's not. It's not easy. Well, yeah, no kidding. But it's Um, worth it. Okay. All right. I'll I'll go for that. Okay. Last thing I want to ask you about, because this has blown my mind very recently. Uh, Are you familiar with uh, Dr. Emoto, Japanese scientist who did the, the water and the rice experiments. No. Okay, very quickly. You can Google it. This scientist many years ago, he was experimenting with the power that words have on people, on their behaviors, but also on the physical world. And he took water and he like froze it into these like crystallized, almost like ice uh, snowflakes. He looked at them under a microscope and then he would expose them to certain um, sounds or to certain mm-hmm, images mm-hmm. or like he would put water in a, in, a, in a jar and then like tape words on it. But he would also say the words to it and then he would just observe what happened to the words. And he also did this with rice. It's like, well, if you put, you know, boil some rice, put it into a jar with the word love on it, and then put some more rice into a jar with the word hate on it. And then you just put no words on one jar and just leave it alone. And then every single day for like months, he would go to the jar. And the one that said love, it's like, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Just giving all the love 
to that one. And then to the other one, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. You're ugly. You're terrible. I got it. And then to the, to the third one, total silence, Uh nothing at all. And at the end of however many months, the love jar of rice began to ferment and give off like a really nice aroma and the rice got all Mm -hmm. fluffy. The hate jar became putrid and Mm -hmm. started to, um, it turned black, like the rice turned black and it decayed. But the one that was ignored entirely was started to just rot away, Mm -hmm. just disintegrated, very, very decrepit. And the one that was ignored suffered even more. All right. Then the one that was that was hated on, but the one that got the hatred also just decayed and rotted. And to me, it says, you know, our words are so, so powerful. Mm-hmm. And Preeti, what are the things that moving forward, what, are there any areas of your life that you think that you are neglecting? Because we not just, you know, we might say things that aren't the most affirming about ourselves or about other people, but what are we neglecting? What are we not paying attention to that deserves our attention that can rot unless we offer it our attention and our affirmation and our energy. Anything? I mean, I don't think I'm going to answer that in one minute. I think there's lots of areas that I think how we talk to ourselves is, is at least how I've talked to myself is pretty tough. Do you do affirmations? Like I do do affirmations. Yeah, I do do them. I do them a lot. And then I have days where I'm like, whatever, you know, just like everyone else. I think that's a great topic for our next, our next episode. Let's start with that. Let's start with that. Well, Um, I mean, the human body is 70% water. And I think that was a part of, you know, where he was going. It's like, well, rice is exposed to water, but like, you know, how you talk to a little kid, you tell it, it's a great kid and you tell us an evil child, or you just neglect it entirely to end up, you know, child. Well, I mean, I think, I think that I mean, I wish it were as simple as the rice, but I mean, I think that's where generational trauma, uh, trauma comes from. Right. I mean, that's, that's, you know, you learn from how people are spoken to you and then you speak to yourself and others that way. And it takes someone to say, I'm, you know, it takes learning and knowledge and, and exactly what you're doing to say, you know, I have to break the cycle, but it's, it's learned. Well, we at least have this platform to we explore do. ways to, to think about things differently and to introduce new narratives to old situations and break all of that. Because with the Bali effect, you know, it really, it, it's nothing but a shift, the slightest little shift. And, and I'm trying to shift a lot these days to my truest self. So Keep shifting. Right. Keep shifting. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Preeti. This has been fun as usual. The time just went on by, but uh, how people can follow us and listen to us and stay, I I guess there will be a post on this. (laughs) See what we're up to. Uh, Yeah, for sure. And I think it's time that we get back into getting some guests on our podcast. We're so excited to talk to you guys. So, you know, send us some people your way. I think we have some people in the hopper and Let's, let's, let's get back on this Bali effect. Sounds good to me. All right, right, guys. See you later. Bye. Bye. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, follow us on Instagram, the underscore Bali underscore effect. And we'll see you there. 
Thank you. Bye. Check us out.